Something we don't talk enough about is mental health in sports, so we're bringing on an expert to talk about this today. You don't want to miss this episode of The Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game time! If you're sick of the mainstream sports outlets, well, so was I. So I started my own show. I'm Shane Larson, and this is The Game Time Guru. It's different than other talk shows. I'm providing a panoramic view on sports so you can see them through a different lens. So buckle up, and let's go. What's up, everybody? Episode 96 of the Game Time Guru Podcast is here. I'm your host, Shane Larson. I'm excited to have you with us. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. I'm excited to have you. Make sure to hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you're listening on. That way you can hear all the future episodes coming out, as well as the previous ones if you want to go back and listen. Super good information. Today's guest, Derek Bilsma. He's a licensed clinical professional counselor out of Chicago, and it's going to be amazing. He's going to be breaking down the mental aspect of sports. And it's something that resonates with me because I battled with anxiety when I was a young athlete growing up, all the way through high school even. So Derek's bringing on his expertise as a counselor, as a coach, and a former player. You're not going to want to miss it. Make sure, again, you hit that subscribe button, check it out, and enjoy this interview with Derek. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to the Game Time Guru Podcast. As I said in the introduction, we've got Derek Bilsma joining us today. He is a licensed clinical professional counselor, and he leads the sports division at his office. And today, we're going to be talking a little bit about mental health. We're going to be talking about sports and and how you know mental health plays a, a major part in the sports world. Um, and Derek, I appreciate you joining us today on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. No doubt. I'm, I've for anybody who's listening right now, um, just so you guys have an understanding, we tried to do this the first time around about a week ago. Uh, had some technical difficulties, and Derek was kind enough to you know make some time out of his schedule again to to join me and, and get this interview done again. So sometimes that happens in the podcasting world. We have some technical difficulties, and we're just grateful that Derek's joining us now. Derek, we want to talk a little bit about your sports background, and you know where you became passionate about sports. So to my understanding, you played soccer in college. So can you break that down a little bit for us? Sure. Uh, yeah, I grew up, my, my dad was a college football player and I grew up, uh, kind of loving sports. I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we, uh, growing up in, in Ann Arbor, you quick, pretty quickly become a, a football fan and then followed by, you know, baseball. And there's a lot of good sports in the Detroit area. Uh, not as good anymore these days, but, you know, love the Lions and the Tigers and all those types of teams. And I think uh, my parents both instilled in me that, uh, you know, that competition and teamwork and all those types of things can be really valuable for you. And ultimately, I just loved it. Uh, I played basketball and baseball and soccer growing up. And I think it just turned out that uh, that I was better at soccer than the other ones and had the opportunity to go play in college. And, uh, and you know, I ended up at University of Wisconsin, so was able to play D1 soccer and, uh, and then even played professionally for a little bit afterwards. Uh, so I think that you know, that, uh, that competitiveness and that drive is something that I, I feel like, you know, affects me every day and, and, you know, working with other people and having teammates and fighting for others and all those things that you get from sports, I think are really valuable lessons that kids learn and, uh, you know, making sure that what we're doing is keeping in perspective, the importance of winning, uh, versus the importance of working hard and, and, uh, you know, kind of uh, doing the best you can on a day-to-day basis. I think that if you pull that out of it, uh, as opposed to feeling like you always need to win, then it kind of sets you up pretty well for life to transfer over to the other areas of your life, whether it's work or relationships or, you know, parenting, all those things I think can be positively affected by sports. Absolutely. Okay. So that's perfect because the whole point of my podcast was to kind of show people that, you know, 
the the athletes are not just a bunch of dumb jocks. That's kind of what my whole idea behind this was two years ago. Like, we're, there's a lot more to it. So I wanted to bring people on, tell their stories, share their journeys. Um, and you just basically mentioned it in a about a two minute segment right there about how you learn a lot more from sports that you can translate into real life if you do so correctly. You know, if you take the right things out of sports and you learn from them, you can translate them into your regular life. I think it's awesome. So. Um, First question, I got to re- rewind a second because you're from Ann Arbor. You played at Wisconsin. Was there any, you know, family conflict with that decision considering you were from Ann Arbor and you went to Wisconsin? Yeah. In fact, I still get a lot of flack from, uh, particularly from my Wisconsin buddies. Uh, you know, their big thing is, is like, you know, you played a sport here and you're still a Michigan fan, right? You're playing for the university and, and you, you're still a Michigan fan. But what I've tried to explain to people is if, uh, you know, I started going to Michigan football games and, and basketball games when I was six years old. My, uh, my high school was kitty corner from the big house in Ann Arbor. And Ann Arbor kind of revolves, it's a university town, and it revol- revolves around the University of Michigan. I'm the only one in my family, of uh, an extended family of, you know, I think 15 folks or so that didn't go to Michigan. Uh, but at the time, Michigan did not, have, uh, did not have varsity soccer. It was a club sport. And I actually started at a D3 school and then transferred. I, I went to D3 and did pretty well, made All-American a couple times, and had the opportunity to transfer to Wisconsin, where I, you know, was able to get a scholarship. And so uh, you know, Madison's a great town. I love Wisconsin. And, you know, there's only one time when I'm rooting against the Badgers and that's when they're playing against Michigan. Uh, but that's the type of stuff that once you get in your blood, you know, you can't just, you can't just get it out there. If you grow up and anybody who grows up in a college town, uh, you know, seems to understand it. The ones who didn't don't understand it as well. But even my Michigan buddies give me, uh, give me grief for going to Wisconsin and not playing for Michigan. So I can't win really. Uh, but, uh, you know, I guess my family's the only ones who are happy enough with me because I'm still a Michigan fan. Man, that's awesome. I, I did not know that whole background. And it's funny because I have a lot of fellow Ohio State fans that listen to the show because I myself am a, am a Buckeye fan all the way from Boise. Um, and uh, that's interesting just to hear. It. And it's interesting because the connection to get a hold of you was through, you know, um, the guys over at, at Cas Source and uh, to my understanding, Eric is a pretty big Buckeye fan, so it's funny. I did not know that little little story there, so interesting. I might have to bleep out the Michigan words throughout this show today. <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> <Yep>. just kidding. <laughs> That's um, what I love about it. It's funny, man. It's it's a big rivalry. It's cool. It's just cool, and then I think it's cool because I'm I'm from Boise, Derek. So it's like we have the Boise State Broncos. That's basically our our university around here, but it's a very small school in comparison, right? They don't have the tradition. They don't have all of this that goes behind them, like the bigger schools, like Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State, those big time schools. So it is cool. Like I, it's interesting you say that. Like when you're from a college town you understand it, but when you're not from one, you don't fully understand it. And I just got glimpses of it when I went to Columbus for the first time last year to check out an actual Ohio State game in the in the shoe. Like, just understanding what it's like being around there. I can't even imagine growing up there. Um, so, like, yeah, it's crazy to hear you say that because I totally get it now just from a, a minor little, you know, experience that I had over there. It's crazy. So, so Derek, you, uh, you, you played soccer in college, and you – you have this, it sounds like you naturally have this gift and this passion of helping others. So we mentioned earlier, you're a licensed clinical professional counselor, but you also help others in a different way on the coaching side of things. So you've taken your expertise from the the sports world, your experience in soccer, and now you're coaching. Can you explain a little bit about what you do on the coaching side of things? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, so I was going to coach for one year when I was in grad school. Uh, I, I actually was, was coaching club soccer, uh, just as a way to kind of support myself. So I, I had a, 
second career, I started out in the recruiting staffing world and in, in my mid thirties, uh, decided that, uh, that I did want to kind of go back into the family business. My mom was a therapist. My dad was a sociology professor and my sister's an oncology nurse. So I was kind of the, the, the black sheep for, for being a business guy. And, uh, so I decided to go back and get my master's uh, with the encouragement of my wife, who was extremely supportive in that because that's a tough thing to do uh, with a family, and uh, went back, got my master's in my early 30s. And uh, during that time, what I did to support myself is I coached club soccer way out in the suburbs. So I had a long commute, but it, it was fine because I was in classes in the evening. And uh, I live in a neighborhood with a, a really kind of well-known school in downtown Chicago for the Chicago Public School System, uh, or uh, system named Jones College Prep, which is a, a really good school and had always had a, a struggling soccer team. And so I spoke to them and they asked me if I could kind of come out for one year and help them out and, you know, see if I could get something going with the team. And, you know, now it's, I think this will be my ninth or 10th year. So my intention was to do it for one year just because it was in the neighborhood. But then my daughter ended up playing for me while, while we were there. She uh, graduated and is now playing in college as well. And uh, so I've had a great experience in coaching high school soccer. And I just love the fact that, you know, most of these kids are not D1 athletes. It's, you know, we have several kids every year who go on to play in college, but they're just amazing kids and, and come from really great families. And so the experience for me, you know, at this point, coaching is just something I do that I love. I, I can't play at the same level I did or at some points even play at all. So the coaching aspect allows me to help some of these kids develop, teach them a little something about life as opposed to just how to play soccer. And also, you know, I enjoy it a lot. And I've got a great coaching staff and, and friends who are in the soccer world here in Chicago. And I think that entire experience is something that's been really valuable for me. And, and one of the things I just really love to do now you know, our season's coming up in a month and I'm super excited for it, just like I am for every year. And, uh, and I, I don't know when I'll stop doing it. A lot of people thought I would leave once my daughter graduated, but, uh, I had no intention of doing that. This has been just a great experience for me. Man, that's super cool to hear that. It's, it's cool to hear that you're able to take that skill set and go into coaching and you have this passion that has grown from that as well. And you continue to do so. It's, if people don't understand that coaching, um, I shouldn't say people, that's, like generalizing a lot of people, but like a lot of people that I've talked to don't have a full understanding of what it takes to be a coach. And so we've talked about coaching on this show before, like you can be a great player or same thing in life. Like you can be a great employee at this one. Like, let's say you're a great employee, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a great manager because like they're different skill sets completely. Right. And so it's cool to see that you're able to have such a high skill set as a coach, just like you did as a player, because now you're, you've got this passion and you understand. And we'll talk a little bit about coaching in just a second, because, um, I think you have some good things to say about coaching. So I want to, I want to ask you about that in a second, but before we get there and talk about like the, the different skill sets that a coach that it requires to be a good coach, I want to talk about your, your, you said you went back to school. Uh, you went back to school to get your master's degree. And I want you to talk a little bit about that. I mean, just, you don't have to go into too much detail, but just as much as you're allowed to talk about what you do uh, from the professional side on your, as a, as a licensed clinical professional counselor. Sure. Yeah. So I actually, I've had a pretty unique experience in that regard. I had, uh, I, as I mentioned, I went into the, the recruiting and business world and I'd done that for several years. And then I spent, uh, or actually for a lot of years, uh, but I spent a lot of time doing some kind of more volunteer work and working with people who are struggling with different things. Originally it was, uh, with uh, substance abuse and addiction and then further with uh, some mental health issues, you know, some people that were close to me as well as just kind of that whole world. And, and at that time I became very passionate about that and really wanted to 
do that full time. And again, you know, kind of encouraged by my wife who, who was really supportive during the whole thing, which was fantastic because I'm not sure I would have done it on my own. Uh, so I, I went and I actually, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I interned with the, with the, with the center that I'm with. So it's called Millennium Counseling Center in Chicago. And I was an intern there. And then over the years, I kind of went and filled my practice up and then became a partner. And then eventually, uh, as of now, became the executive director. So it was a, uh, it was kind of a, a different career path for me. But uh, Millennium is amazing. And I love the people. My, my two partners are fantastic. Uh, and uh, so it's been, you know, the ability to kind of do something that I'm completely passionate about. And, and yes, it's a, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's fantastic to help people and it's amazing to, to, you know, kind of work with people on a daily basis who are trying to better their lives. You know, the important thing I think in my world is, is that as, as counselors and therapists, we need to remember that we're simply a resource. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not the reason why people get better. We're not the reason why people's lives change. That's up to those people themselves. And I think as long as you can understand that and be clear on that from a humility standpoint, then it's, uh, you know, it, it changes some of the challenges, which is to take it home with you every night. And, uh, which is, which is a big challenge in my business is to, you know, that you don't take home everybody else's problems when you walk through the door back in your own life. And that's, uh, something that a lot of, a lot of therapists struggle with. And, uh, I, I kind of learned how to balance that, at least I think better than most and, uh, am able to enjoy my private life, uh, while still being passionate and caring for the people I work with. That's super cool, man. I can totally imagine that. I've known uh, a few therapists in my in my life. I've I'm related to a couple of them, and that is one thing that I've heard is it's difficult to separate your work life from your home life because yeah, you're bringing home you you hear a lot of things, and some of them can be disturbing, uh, and and it and it can wear on you because you care about those individuals, and it's it's cool to hear that you're doing both of these things. You're you have your your main profession, and you're also coaching, and and in a reality, like they do merge together. And that's kind of where I want to talk about right now, like talking about your coaching aspect and how your full-time job as a counselor and a therapist, like how that trickles into your coaching. Now, Derek, if you could put a number on it, what percentage of sports would you say is mental compared to physical? Hmm. Well, I personally believe that, uh, that it's, uh, that it's actually probably more, uh, mental than physical. You know, I've worked with some extremely skilled players who didn't have that kind of psychological edge. And, uh, and I've, and I've worked with some, you know, kind of average players who psychologically were able to, to dominate in the game and, and they became amazing players. I think a lot of that comes from myself. I mean, I wasn't a, a, a finely tuned athlete. I wasn't as skilled as some of the other players. Uh, but I think just that mental aspect of it, I was, you know, my dad was a great competitor. He taught me a lot of things, uh, as far as how to get ready to play and mental imagery and all those types of things. And so I think it is a much bigger piece than people even realize. Uh, I think the great coaches understand it. Um, but I think the general public may not understand completely. They, they look at people, professional athletes and things like that and think that they're just all physically gifted, but there's a, a whole nother side to this, which comes, you know, on the mental and psychological side, where if you don't have that piece, uh, you're not going to make it as far as, uh, or at least as far as you could, you know, and I think understanding that's difficult, but, you know, a lot of that is passed on through coaches and a lot of that is passed on through, you know, parents and, and things like that. I, I don't know that some people I think do have it naturally, but I definitely think that's something more that's about nurture than nature. Uh, you know, some people are for sure born, you know, very competitive and have a mental edge, but I think it's something that you learn for the most part, or at least can learn. And I think the the ones who can understand that and who are, are really highly skilled athletes are the ones who you end up seeing on TV and, you know, kind of playing in the professional world. 
that is extremely interesting. You mentioned mental imagery. Can you expand upon what that means? Yeah, I found that to be very important. It's interesting. I, I have a buddy uh, who's a, a Division One soccer coach, and I was just, you know, talking to him about this yesterday, and was asking him if he uses that with his players, and because he's a guy who's very innovative and uses a lot of different things, and he's been extremely successful at the collegiate level. And uh, so, you know, one of the things that I I was taught as a as a youngster was that, you know, the night before the game, you need to spend fifteen twenty minutes just watching yourself make the plays that you would hope to make. And uh, for me, what that meant is, is that I had to uh, win the 50-50 balls. I had to win headers. I had to run through the ball. I had to play aggressive. You know, I, it wasn't that I was picturing myself hitting some perfect volley or the, or the, you know, the great strike from 35 yards out. I spent time really working on being a hustle player and, you know, working hard on defense and, you know, making sure that I was, uh, you know, what I was taught to be is every time you step off the field, make sure you're the hardest working player on the field. And if you can do that, then you'll have success. And, and that's kind of what I pictured myself doing. It's almost like a daydream, uh, although it's intentional. And, you, you know, you get in a quiet place and spend a little time and just watch yourself doing the things that you want to do. And, uh, and I believe that that works well for life in general. You know, if there's certain things that you're trying to work on in your life, if you're trying to be a better communicator, if you're trying to be a better husband or parent, then I think you need to take some time and, and know exactly what it is you want to do before you do it. And the best way that I've learned how to do that is to imagine yourself or picture yourself doing those things. Uh, so when you, when you go to face that for the first time, it's not the first time you've seen it. You know what to expect, at least in, in, your, in your imagery, and then it's easier to handle once you get to that point. Awesome. That's a great explanation of that whole thing and how, again, how these – tips and tricks can actually help you in your regular life, not just in sports, but in regular life. So for anybody who's listening, that was Derek's explanation of mental imagery. So that's a, that's a really important clip here in this, this segment. Um, I want to talk about coaching then. And, and you mentioned nurture versus nature and how, you know, sometimes it is. That. And we talk about like athletes that have the mental edge uh, compared to those who don't. And you can see it. If you, if you start to actually understand this concept of having a mental edge, you'll see, uh, even at the professional level, uh, there are certain athletes that flourish in college. There are certain athletes that, you know, they get to the highest level, but there's so much pressure on them. And you can see those that have a mental edge and those who, quote unquote, are broken. They can be broken from a mental standpoint and how much that actually impacts their game. They might be the most physically gifted athlete, but if they don't have the mental edge, then they can be broken and it can actually hinder them like very, very, very badly. It's it's bad. It's I've seen a lot of athletes break and um, – they didn't ever live up to their full potential. So a lot of it comes down to the nurture aspect of it, though. And I think it comes from the younger part of their lives, right? Because if they're not there by the time they get to the professional level, it's just difficult to break them of bad habits and, and teach them new things. But from a coaching aspect, I know, Derek, from when I was younger, I mean, I just had a different different mindset than some of my teammates, and they had different mindsets than me. So there were certain coaches that resonated better with me. Like, they, they related better to me, and they, they adapted to my my, you know, playing style and my attitude and stuff. And I always felt that those coaches were the best coaches. They stuck in my mind forever. And there's other coaches that I thought were, they just gave the blanket responses like to everything. So they were the hard coaches. Like you just do this. And they, they had the same answer for every kid on the team. Uh, and I didn't necessarily like that. I thought the best coaches were always the ones who could adapt to their players. I want to get your expertise from as a coach and as a counselor, someone, how do you think, you know, these coaches should be nurturing their kids and, and helping their kids succeed, not only from a mental standpoint, but from a physical standpoint. 
Sure. Well, there's a lot there, right? Uh, I think that, um, you know, one of the things that you mentioned is, uh, is you talked before about, you know, great players becoming great coaches. And, uh, and my philosophy is, is that uh, great coaches come from uh, players who played for great coaches. And so I think that, uh, you know, in my experience, I've seen really great players who, who weren't great coaches and, and average players who were great coaches. And for the most part, it boils down to the coaching that they've gotten in the past. And, uh, you know, if they, if they played for great coaches, then they were, you know, they, they were better coaches themselves. And I was really blessed from a young age. You know, I, my dad coached my teams when I was young. And then all through high school and college, I, I've played for great coaches my entire life. And I think that's helped me a lot on the coaching side. And I think, you know, understanding that difference, which I touched on before, understanding the difference between, you know, kind of that, that competitiveness, but also understanding the big picture of the game. I think that you do have these kids who are, you know, are extremely competitive at a young age and, and have learned that from somewhere. And I think they have an advantage, but there's also a breaking point on that. There's an edge that you cross over. And I think that that comes when you believe that, that winning is the only important thing. You know, he fully believes that you either, you know, there's only two things, there's a winner and a loser. And, uh, you know, and, and though, I think that he, uh, you know, kind of teaches the, the other aspects of the sport that, you know, hard work is really the most important thing and being prepared. And I think that, uh, you know, my, my dad told me at a young age about coaching. He said, uh, you know, Derek, there's three, three types of, well, there's the, the great coaches are the ones who understand three things, that there's some players that need to be pushed really hard some players that need to be praised a lot and some players that just need to be left alone. And, uh, and I think that's absolutely true. But I think the real key to that is, is that just because a player needs to be pushed really hard one day, doesn't mean that that's how they always need to be pushed. And, and as you mentioned that there were some coaches who kind of were, were just kind of had a, uh, a, uh, you know, playbook that they worked off of and it was the same for every kid. I think those are the ones who tend to struggle. I think if you can look at each individual, you know, person as their own personality and what motivates them and, how do they do things? And you're able to kind of read that a bit and then change your coaching style to fit that. Then those seem to be the best coaches. I think that trying to treat all players the same way with the same motivations and in the same kind of pushing style, it, it doesn't generally work. This is a team game and the uh, 20th player on the roster is just important as the, as the number one player on the roster. And I think if you can help your teams understand that and help the players understand that you're more likely to be successful because you never know when the number 20 player is going to be in front of the goal for a game winning goal uh and uh and and not your number one player so it's got to be top to bottom and they've all got to be instilled that same kind of culture and attitude and the you know the, the the balance between winning and working hard and and kind of enjoying the game absolutely absolutely and one thing i wanted to get your opinion on as well derek is you know for me this is something that i, I had a friend of mine um, talk about this with me and we kind of related on this aspect when i was younger you know flashback into my high school days um, one thing I, I battled with was just anxiety, like terrible anxiety before games. Now, I never really showed it. And I never really talked about it to many people. Um, but I, I battled with this anxiety where I would actually physically be sick before every single game. And, you know, I joke around and laugh with my friends and everything. And I think a lot of kids do this. But anyways, we joke around and stuff before the game, but nobody knew how, how terribly nervous I was. And we'd be in the warm up lines for basketball and the bands playing and everything and you get excited, but I was so nervous that sometimes it physically hindered me. So like I would get so such bad anxiety that like I couldn't perform physically on the basketball court, how I knew I could like it just physically 
it, it shut me down essentially. And it wasn't until a little later in, it was my senior year in high school when I started boxing and my boxing coach told me, you know, that's actually what helped me build the, a lot of confidence in myself was the, the sport of boxing for three years. And he told me, you know, the same exact feeling that you have, the adrenaline and th- these emotions that you're going through are the same emotions that you're going to have if you're excited and you're confident. So just learn how to flip that instead of letting it hinder you flip it and make it as a, as a confidence boost. Cause you're going to get anxiety either way. And so that's when I started using that to my ability and all the way up until now, even if I'm playing in a city league basketball game that to some, that doesn't matter. But if I start getting that kind of butterflies in my stomach, kind of anxiety feeling, I use it as a confidence boost actually. So it, it kind of helped me flip that, but I want your thoughts on this because those kids who battle with anxiety, and I'm sure you deal with this with your coaching um, with girls soccer like these young athletes, they, what do you do and how can you help these athletes who are battling with anxiety? What can we do to, to help them out? I think it's, there's, a, there's a lot of factors there. You know, anxiety is, is one of those things. I think mental health in general is something that we are getting better at understanding, but still as a society don't have, uh, have a, a, a good enough understanding of that, whether it's anxiety or depression or, you know, kind of any of the other things. Is So some of this stuff is just purely clinical. It's, it's physiological, right? You've got, uh, you know, it's, it's the same as having diabetes or something like that. And so there are some things that you need to, you need to get treatment for, you know, some of the anxiety that people face, there's, there's pieces of it that are purely physiological and, and you can't think your way out of that. Now there are, uh, you know, other cases where it's situational and that's kind of what you were mentioning. So it's, it's kind of a situational anxiety. It comes and goes with, you know, with games or concerts or whatever it is that you do. And, uh, and sometimes those things can be worked through kind of, uh, you know, psychologically and, and with some help. And I think that, uh, you're exactly right. It's interesting that you said that because I was just talking with somebody about this yesterday about how, uh, how, you know, the anxiety and excitement are really close to each other on the spectrum. They're not that different of emotions. And uh, th- doing things like learning how to, uh, you know, kind of change that anxiety into excitement is really important, and it can be a driver for you. So it goes back to kind of what I said before, that I think the psychological aspect of this is such a big thing, and it doesn't mean that you can, not not every, and this is what I think is really important, not every type of anxiety, depression, things like that, can you can you think your way through or motivate yourself through not all of not all of it's like that and sometimes there is extra treatment that's needed and and whether that's you know kind of medication uh, or you know kind of talk therapy or working with a sports psychologist or things like that um, but there are some other ones that are more situational and you can kind of work to you know switch the situation and there was a uh, there's a famous author uh, by the name of Viktor Frankl who wrote a, an amazing book a number of amazing books but one of the things that he said was uh, when you can no longer ch- change the situation, one must change themselves. And I think that that's really, really powerful and really valuable because, you know, I think we spend a lot of time in this world trying to change the situation around us. And uh, the the quicker we can turn that kind of concentration inward and start looking at, okay, well, what's my role in this? How can I do this a little better? You know, and maybe with anxiety, you're talking about preparation before the game. You're talking about getting good sleep, a good diet. All those things can affect that. And, uh, And I think that you know, those, the, the ability to kind of look at that and see exactly what it is that you need. Do I need treatment? Do I need to go see a doctor? Do I need to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist? Or is this something that I can kind of work through internally and, uh, and, and kind of turn that, you know, anxiety into excitement or turn it into something that uh, shows up as a love of the game and not something that you're afraid to go out and play every week. Totally, totally. And Derek, uh, before we end, I, I want to touch base on this topic as well. The kids are 
getting so much pressure on their shoulders nowadays compared to even when I was, you know, we flash back 20 years and we're playing like little league football, baseball, soccer, whatever it was. We thought there was a lot of pressure on us then. There's so much more pressure on the kids now. I just want to understand why that is and what we as parents can actually do to at least help that situation. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge thing, right? I think that, first of all, when, when I was growing up, I, and, it, you know, I mentioned this to people, that when I was growing up, the, the, the adults were the center of, of, attra- uh, of attention, and we kind of rotated around them like, like little moons and suns around the, the planet of our parents. And, you know, my friends were my parents' friends' kids. And the difference now is, is that my friends now, as an adult and a parent, are my daughter's friends' parents. <laughs> and uh, so I think that we've become so centered on kids in our life, which, which has a lot of value to it, and it's, and it's very important in a lot of ways. But I think then what happens is you've got a lot of parents who are living vicariously through their, their, their kids' athletics and, and, and successes overall. Uh, the other thing that that does is that, uh, you know, all, all these parents who want their kids to be, you know, want them to be college athletes or professional athletes, and so they, they kind of streamline them into one sport really early. You know, I think I grew up playing basketball, baseball, and soccer, and I think it was really valuable for me as a soccer player to have played those other sports. And now you've got people specializing at an extremely young age with club sports and, and that big business. And so I think that, you know, yes, it's true that, you know, if you spend that much time playing one sport, you do have the opportunity to be great at it. But the pressure that comes with that is unbelievable for these kids. And, and they want so badly to please their parents and make their parents happy. And quite honestly, a lot of the parents are more upset after a loss than the kids are. And, uh, and you know, I see a lot of kids go the other way. They get resentful. They don't really want to play anymore because it's not really fun for them because it's just about winning and losing. And so to answer your question, I think the main thing, and we work with a lot of families. At Millennium Counseling, we work with a lot of families on this kind of stuff. We do we kind of have a full system approach where, you know, we'll have to go. It's not just the, the kid who comes in with the anxiety. We need to talk to the parents and find out what the outside factors are. Uh, and, you know, I think that the for parents, we need to step back a little bit. And if we are going to be super involved in things, which, again, I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's fine to be over, you know, very, very involved with your kids' lives and their sports. But at the end of the day, your kids need to learn the most important lessons of, of, you know, kind of playing team sports or even individual sports. And that's that, you know, it's great to learn how to be competitive. It's extremely valuable to learn how to work so hard and to care about something and to have goals and strive for them. Uh, and it's important to have teammates and know how to play for other people and want to pick your teammates up and support them. But if we have the, if the main concentration for these kids is just winning and losing, being the best player on their team, scoring the most goals, you know, looking at the statistics that we all have online now, as well as videos and all that, then I think they're learning the wrong lessons. And I think they're walking away from that being, you know, somewhat egocentric and, uh, and don't get the true meaning of what a, what a sport is, which is, you know, kind of playing with and for others, learning how to be, comp- you know, very competitive and push yourself to your, your farthest limits, but then also loving what you're doing. And, you know, my personal belief is that the athletes that you see that are the most successful are the ones that truly love the game truly love what they do on a day-to-day basis you know those are the ones who who really succeed in sports it's crazy how you're talking about like the the parents i'm just trying to sit here and absorb all this information like 
it's just as much on the parents as it is the kids. Like it, it's not just the kids that we have to talk to. It's the same. The same concept goes with all the fans. You know what I mean? Like even if they're older, and I'll just like a couple examples just to to finish this off was a kicker. Um, I had him on my podcast. He's a good friend of mine, but he played for Boise State. Kicker. We played against Nevada in 2010. Uh, if Boise State wins that game, they're probably going to the Rose Bowl to play Wisconsin and Russell Wilson. Instead, TCU ended up playing Wisconsin. Uh, Boise State, we miss a kick in in Reno, Nevada. I was at that game, and because of that, it basically, I the the outlash, sorry the the outcries, everybody, the the backlash, everything that came onto our kicker was just insane uh, from a fan's perspective. Already, he had enough pressure on on his shoulders for missing the kick, and then you know he let his teammates down, he let the fans down. But you saw everything. We saw death threats coming out, everything like that, and and that's a college football game. And then you see the same thing. A lot of it in, in college sports, Boise State's quarterback back in 2005, I think, 2004, 2005, played at Georgia. We had like five or six turnovers in the first half. He ended up having to go to counseling after that game because of the the fans. It was so much, uh, so much like lashing out from the fan base that it caused so much additional pressure on their shoulders. And I mean, you're in Chicago, the kicker just missed it for the Bears. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of frustrations with the kickers, and I think a lot of a lot of kickers have that same problem. And I think the fans. I mean, we talk about the families and youth sports, but then as you get older, it's the fan bases. I think we all need to have a little bit, myself included, a little bit of a, I guess, a wider perspective on what's actually important. And then it goes back to what you're saying. Like if you're taking the right things out of sports, and you understand what they are, then then you'll have that understanding. But if it's all only about winning and losing and this and that then you have you don't have that widened mindset and I think that's extremely important. So Derek, I greatly appreciate you joining us today and, and breaking all this down for us. Uh where can we for any listeners that are in the Chicago area um or just want to talk to you or anything like that, where can we find you? You said it's Millennium Counseling, but is there a website? How can we get a hold of you? Sure. Uh it's uh it's Millennium Hope uh dot com. So it's www.millenniumhope dot com so millennium's got two l's and two n's and uh or somebody can uh can email me at derek d-e-r-e-k at millenniumhope.com or i'll also give you my direct number which is 312-804-3980 uh we're very well connected in the chicago area and the you know kind of mental health and sports and uh you know addiction communities and you know maybe we can help you if not then we can certainly point you in the right direction and uh you know we work with all types i work with partners from law firms i work with professional athletes and we work with people who are uh you know kind of at different ends of the spectrum and you know mental health and addiction is not something that uh, cares about race religion economic status uh those things don't it doesn't bypass anybody so i think that it's always good to try to you know if you're struggling with anything reach out to somebody talk to them talk to a professional and see if there's something that can be done. Cause you know, I see a lot of people living in a lot of pain and it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Thank you so much, Derek. I appreciate it. And I hope you guys enjoyed this interview and all the insight that Derek provided us. You got his information. I posted it down below for all uh, what he just provided us his email website and phone number. Check it out. Make sure that you uh, go and subscribe to my show as well. Check out Derek's information and you guys know the drill. We'll be here next Friday with another episode. You guys take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.